Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Welcome to Morning Moments with Maya. Conversations of love and laughter. The show where each week, your host, healthcare administrator and certified humor professional, Maya Aziz, invites someone who is out there pushing the positive to join her for a heartfelt and often hilarious coffee conversation about love, laughter, leadership and, well, life. Love and laughter might not cure what ails you, but they sure go a long way to getting you through those tough life moments. So sit back, pour yourself a cup and get ready to laugh and learn today on Morning Moments. Look for the good. It is all around. Yes, it is. And good morning. This is Maya coming to you live from Montreal this Sunday, March 19th, 2017. It is International Chocolate Caramel Day. No, I didn't just make that up, though it does sound like something I would do. Apparently, it's been celebrated for a couple of hundred years, and that is good enough for me, because that is certainly the kind of holiday that I can get behind. And so I actually did pour a little chocolate caramel into my coffee this morning, and I'm feeling quite cozied up in this extended winter wonderland of ours up here in Montreal. And I'm feeling quite content for this morning's conversation, which is about one of my favorite styles of humor. Comedy that pokes a playful finger at the humorist himself, self-deprecating humor. Whether it's Jim Gaffigan riffing about his translucent skin tone or Hugh Grant bumbling his way through yet another meet-cute scene or Amy Schumer actually pulling up her shirt and rubbing her soft belly in front of an arena of screaming fans, which, if you haven't seen that or had that experience, is pretty awesome. (laughs) There is something about the comic who isn't afraid to poke fun at themselves that has me in the palm of their hand every time. And one person who I think understands the power of laughter in their personal flaws is my guest today. Dorothy Rosby is a syndicated humor columnist whose work appears in newspapers in 11 Western and Midwestern states. She was the 2015 first place winner in the National Federation of Press Women Contest humor column category and a finalist for the 2015 Robert Benchley Award for Humor Writing. Dorothy is the author of two humor books, I Used to Think I Was Not That Bad and Then I Got to Know Me Better, and I Didn't Know You Could Make Birthday Cake from Scratch, Parenting Blunders from Cradle to Empty Nest. She is not only a talented humorist, but a woman with some pretty insightful things to say about how, when the joke's on you, it can be both kinder and hilarious. Dorothy, welcome to the show. Good morning. And first, I just want to say, I did not know it was Chocolate Caramel Day today. So guess what I'm going to do right after we hang up? <laughs> I'm going to go Isn't find that the some. best excuse? <laughs> exactly. Yes, that's wonderful. 
I, I, yeah, anything to do with chocolate, I'm there. Yeah. That's it. I, don't know how I, I, I confess that. I don't usually need an excuse for that, but when there is yeah. one and it's recognized, well, then I just have to go along with it. You can feel better about yourself today that you're, you know, <laughs> just celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Dorothy, I want to know because, you know, I've read your writing and it is so witty and clever and funny. But I'm curious, where did you get your sense of humor? Is it something that you had even as a child? Was it something that was always a part of you? Well, I have to tell you, I grew up number nine, engine, engine, number nine out of ten children. And there is something about big families that really uh, molds humor into the children. It's a big, noisy place. There are more chairs or more children than chairs, and I'm not making that up. <laughs> and my dad, my dad had a really good sense of humor, too. And I think, you know, kids learn that the way to how to please a parent and the way to please him was to make him laugh so yeah I think it I think it came from my childhood and that big noisy household of mine that's interesting actually I've heard that from a number of people um, from larger families that there is something about being one of many children um, that certain ones tend to gravitate towards humor perhaps as getting a little bit of the attention or getting a little bit of space or creating their own identity so I find that really interesting um, and were there particular as you became you know more grown or uh, as an adult were there particular comics or humorists that you gravitated towards or who influenced you? Well, I did grow up um, reading Irma Bombeck, and I am a fan. I was a fan. I still am a fan. Um, but honestly, I prefer to um, hear humor more than read it, which I don't even like to say that because I'm a writer, so don't tell anybody <laughs> that. But, no, I, I love to hear humor. Like I like to hear poetry better than read it. I like to hear it. And I am a huge fan of public radio and all the humorists on public radio here in the States. We have uh, – I, I love Garrison Keillor. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, on Prairie Home Companion, it's called. And then he's been – he's retired, but his replacement, Chris Feely, is, is just fabulous. And, and Prairie uh, – or excuse me, public broadcasting has so many great humorists. I just, as I cook my dinner or whatever, I listen to the entertainment shows on, on public radio. And something about just hearing humor, I just, I just love it. it. It strikes me more for some reason. Uh, I, I actually feel the same way. Um, there's something also about the voice that gets associated with a particular style of humor or delivery of humor and the timing of the words. Um, I agree that that's something about whether it's radio or podcasting or, or whatever you can listen to that adds another dimension to, to humor, uh, which is kind of wonderful. Now, today, yeah, and you know, oh, I'm sorry. No, go I ahead. Say, well, I was just going to say that when you're writing, um, you really, or I really aim to let the reader hear me that way because I am so fond of listening to 
um, humor. I know that that sound is so important. So I actually read what I'm writing out loud, which gets, you know, strange looks from my family. But when I'm writing, I read it out loud. I because um, I try really hard to get that voice in there. I think that that you know the the reader, the listener, they want to hear that. They want to hear the reader's voice or the writer's voice. So yeah. And I think you can tell that from reading your writing, you can tell that that it's crafted in that way that that you you can hear how it how it would be read and and it would stand up uh, you know in the same way if it was read. Today we've decided um, to talk about a particular kind of humor, which is, of course, self-deprecating humor. Um, And before I I ask you a little bit more about your interest in the topic, I want to just make sure for our listeners that people understand what we're talking about. How would you define that, uh, self-deprecating humor? What is that? Well, well, self-deprecating humor is when I, um, and in some cases we collectively, my group, is the butt of the joke as opposed to they or some somebody else. I think uh, self-deprecating humorists um, are aware of their shortcomings and their weaknesses <laughs> and are willing to put them out there and share them in a lighthearted way. That's that's kind of how I would um, sum up self-deprecating humor. Is it the same as kind of making fun of yourself or putting yourself down for a laugh? I tell you what, it's a very fine line, and it's one that I am very careful about when I'm writing because putting yourself down or going too far is really not funny. Um, if you go too far, the, the audience actually becomes uncomfortable i think um this this might sound kind of um kind of silly but the difference i think is with with self-deprecating humor as opposed to put downs is the self-deprecating humor is more accepting more kind toward themselves less judging Uh, there's almost an implied acceptance and forgiveness yes i make mistakes everyone's human Uh, as opposed to, I am such an idiot, I never do anything right. You see the difference there? It's all in the attitude of the writer. Um, Am I I accepting of my faults and and kind toward myself because I'm just a human, or am I very self-critical? And it is a very fine line, and it's easy, easy to go over it um, for a laugh, and um, it backfires, (laughs) I think. Thank you for that definition, and I and I I love how you put that. That for self-deprecating humor, there the there needs to be an atten- intention of acceptance and kindness towards yourself. Um, and I can definitely think of comics that I've seen where you really feel that. And then I've also seen, as you described, those you know those comics where sometimes. Y- as an audience member, you feel a bit uncomfortable because it's so negative and it, it just kind of feels bad. Um, so I, I can see what you mean by the kindness element. And tell me, why, why is it so appealing? When done right, um, and as you've defined, there is a right way to do it, why is it so appealing to people when I think of audiences or readers? Why do we love that so much? 
Well, I think the main reason is we all are happy to find out that we are not the only ones that make mistakes. Or, you know, you mentioned Amy Schumer in the belly. I have not seen that. I'm going to go have to see that. But I can tell you right now why people find that funny, because they all got it. You know, they have a belly like that. You know, it's very, if self-deprecating humor is right, is done right, it's very relatable to an audience. They're all going, yeah, that's that's me too. I think that's probably the thing I've always liked most about it is I tell my story and um, if I do it right, instead of feeling attacked or whatever the other person thinks of theirs, um, you know, and oftentimes emails me to tell me theirs. So it's very, very relatable if it's if it's done right. And I think that's my my favorite part about it. I got a belly like Amy Schumer. <laughs> so I feel better about myself that, that I'm not the only one, you know. <laughs> As do I, which, and I, you know, I mentioned the Amy Schumer example because I just a couple of weeks ago went to see her live. Uh, I went with my daughter and it was one of the most wonderful live uh, comedy shows that I've been to. And at that moment, I mean, the crowd just went crazy crazy um <laughs> and exactly for the, reason, the reason that you give because we were all regular people in the audience and um and and like you described earlier she did it uh she i find is such an example of a woman who very much uh, is accepting of who she is and quite likes herself for who she is and makes no excuses and and so it was a a very relatable bonding moment, um, as you describe. Yeah, and you know, when she's in a she's in a world of celebrities, and where that isn't always accepted that women have to be a certain way and perfect and all of that. So, you know, God bless her for doing that because she could, you know, actually move things forward a bit for the rest of us by by being accepting of herself that way. Let's hope. Let's hope. Um, You know what? You said something interesting, um, Dorothy, about uh, it uh, creating a bit of a bond or being relatable for the audience. And it makes me think that when you're using or creating self-deprecating humor, it's not just about the laugh. It's also about... um, trying to create some sort of a connection. Um, So there's this additional element to it. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah, I don't know if I, if I, uh, when I sit down, I'm, I'm thinking of that so much. I will say I often don't start with me in mind when I start writing. I don't start by saying I'm going to poke fun at this part of me. I do often start by saying there is this thing that many humans are facing nowadays, <laughs> say an obsession with Facebook or maybe we worry too much. These are all things I've written about, you know, or we fall for stupid diets or these kind of things. Um, This is my premise. And then I put me in the middle of it um, as a way to take the sting out of it (laughs) as I'm writing about it so that it doesn't become a rant. Um, You know, I've been um, known to write about things that actually make me angry, Uh, take a premise like that, that littering, for example, I've written about littering, (laughs) and I'm angry about it, but if I'm able to trade in the anger and put me in the center of it and poke fun at me, um, it, it lessens the anger and the attack and 
turns my little diatribe into humor and maybe a lesson as opposed to a rant. <laughs> does that make sense? It, it does. It does. And, and I imagine that's what allows li- sort of listeners or readers um, to be more open to what you're saying as opposed to if it was just sort of an angry rant, which might also be completely justified, <laughs> but would be received differently, perhaps. Absolutely, because I, if I, you know, sometimes I, I think I have a lesson to teach here. I have something to say here, which is a little um, uppity. But I, you know, we, as writers, that's what we want to do, right? But if uh, if I'm angry or attacking another group, then they they won't listen to that message. No one will listen to that message except the people who are right on board with me. Whereas if you turn it into humor. Um, and self-deprecating humor is one of the ways to do that. It's like a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my theory anyway. <laughs> I, I think your theory is a good one, and, and we know that humor in all kinds of communication um, is, like you say, a spoonful of sugar and has, uh, you know, people listen more when there is an element of humor. Uh, they're more open to whatever is being taught, if you will. Um, so that does make good sense. And and so, you know, you, you talk about it not wanting to be a rant at other people or, or angry at other people. And, of course, there is a lot of humor. Um, I sometimes think more these days than ever in the past. That is sort of more poking fun at someone else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I don't um, – I do think there is a place for that. Um, I'm not able to do it myself, but I am. I really admire political satirists. I, you know, Stephen Colbert and John Stewart, mm-hmm. and I. I really admire the way they can do it. It's humor can can speak truth to power like nothing else can. But you you do see that if when you're watching that, that you don't find it as funny when you don't agree with them, right? Uh, <laughs> when you agree with them. So, um, but, you know, so I don't think there's never a time for that. But then there's that other kind of humor that um, I think a lot of things pose for humor that are not really funny, like bullying or um, racism or, um, you know, uh, just shock even sometimes are trying to pose as humor. And I personally, maybe somebody does, but I personally don't really find them funny. It's more like there's something posing as humor and not really quite making it. But that might just be my opinion too. Maybe somebody does find those kind of things funny. I do not, you know. And there does seem to be a lot of that um, on Facebook. You know, those, those, um, some of the memes are just so mean spirited and really racist or, or hurtful. And and then, you know, if you ever complain about that, the person, the sender will say, "Well, you're just too politically correct or too sensitive or blah blah blah." But I. Um, I guess I question their motives, that there's something posing as humor that isn't really humor. It's, it's a dig. That they, <laughs> I'm being very judgmental, Maya. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I find it so interesting. And, uh, you know, just a, a few weeks ago, we did a show on dark humor. Um, and in that conversation, one of the things that came up was understanding the intention of the humorist. Um, yes. 
is is so vital. And when you question the actual intention, so like as you say, and you question whether that person you know is racist or is mean or is cruel, um, you receive it very differently. So there's a there's an art and an intention, I think, to Absolutely. these kinds of borderline uh, forms of humor that make the difference in terms of it being very clever and very funny or, uh, you know, just not appropriate. (laughs) And I have to think that doing that well is um, very difficult. It is much harder than self-deprecating humor because it has to be a real skill to use dark humor and so that the right intention is coming across or that it's clear to the to the reader i i couldn't do i i'm not up to that challenge i don't think (laughs) i'm just a nice midwestern girl you know (laughs) i mean i think it's just a different kind of an art i i do agree there's yeah i think about john stewart you mentioned john stewart and you know now trevor noah i just watched his uh, latest special on, on netflix which is really brilliant and i the whole time i was thinking you know he was saying a lot of very political things, but so carefully, uh, so carefully written that it never crossed that line of, um, you know, making the listener uncomfortable. He cleverly, as you said, said before, could, could highlight political issues um, and was just hilarious, but, mm-hmm. but was a real master at it. And I, it's not everyone, I think, who can do that particular form of humor. I agree with you. And if they can, they really can make a difference. I mean, you can make a difference if you're able to get your point across and to people who disagree with you. Mm. You know what I mean? You're, you're, if you are skilled enough to do that with humor, to put that, get that medicine in with a spoonful of sugar and have it be swallowed, you, um, you can make a difference with your humor. Whereas if everyone is just digging in their heels or, going off to their corner to lick their wounds or whatever, then you don't really make a difference, you know. It's very fine line. And and people underestimate the power of humor, I find, sometimes, don't you think? I do think so. I think it is. In fact, I it kind of... Um, it's kind of sad sometimes. It's not counted among the great literature, you know. <laughs> uh, I, uh, Garrison Keillor um, made a comment once that humor is the, the bastard, red-headed stepchild of, of literature, or something to that effect. I can't quite remember the quote, but, but it's, it's like, yeah, it's not, it's, you know, a lot of people can't do it, um, and yet they don't give it the credence that they give uh, to other literary forms and uh, it's kind of funny but you know I have kind of a personal bias there too (laughs) (laughs) but but you're right I mean I think even about you know Oscars and the 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 brilliant comedy films that can come out and just no one pays any attention because they think oh it was just funny but when you really think about what goes into that in terms of writing and delivery and um, it is hard 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 I think part of it is uh, a really good humorist um, makes it look easy. It makes it look mm. like look like it's just natural. Nobody knows what all went into that, so they. Uh, it, I don't know. It doesn't look strained if it's working, and it doesn't look like there's. It looks effortless and smooth, and so it doesn't get. Um, 
it doesn't get the credit it deserves. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right. You're so right that yeah. it, it looks easy. Um, but if, if you've ever tried it, it really isn't. I, I can yes. testify to that. Um, whereas we see people doing these sort of, you know, big screaming, crying scenes and we think, oh my goodness, they really had to dig deep, uh, et cetera. We, <laughs> yeah. we don't necessarily respect the, the comic the way that we should. <laughs> I agree. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Excuse me. So, you know, one of the things about self-deprecating humor and part of why I was really interested uh, in having this conversation with you is I find um, I sometimes question if there are, I don't know if I want to say double standards uh, when it comes to self-deprecating humor, or maybe it's still this fine line that we've been talking about. When we think about gender differences and and I don't know if it's me as a listener who reacts sometimes I think about um, I don't know if you're uh, a fan of people like Deborah DiGiovanni or people women in particular who use a lot of self-deprecating humor it sort of seemed differently or it feels as though it seemed differently than when men create self-deprecating humor. Do do you have any thoughts about the gender differences when it comes to using or even responding to that kind of humor? You know, I have thought for a long time that men, well, everybody knows this, I guess, that men and women definitely find different things funny. Mm. They definitely do. Um, And I, I have a sense that women are more apt to use self-deprecating humor than men. But the reason I have a, I'm not a hundred percent convinced of that. I mean, a part of me thinks that, but I come from a family of seven brothers and several of them are extremely skilled at using self-deprecating humor. So it throws my theory off a little, you see, Mm. Um, because in the the rest of the world, I have a sense that men don't use it as often, and if you don't use it as often, you may not appreciate it as much as women do. I don't know. But then I have my own family as kind of a different experience because, like I said, seven brothers and and, – it, particularly three of them are really very skilled at that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I kind of have mixed feelings about that. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I need to do a study. No, <laughs> we need a study on this. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think love, so. <laughs> I'd love to see important. the results of that. <laughs> important research, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I think you're right. I, I wonder if, if that, you know, that self-deprecating humor does seem to have an appeal to women. Um, again, it's, you know, it maybe it's just my perspective as well, as you say, uh, more so than men. And even when I think about men who create that kind of humor, and I'm thinking of someone like Hugh Grant, for example. Um, yeah. Who loves it? Women. Uh, or even, you know, yeah. Louis C.K., who loves when he sort of, you know, pokes him too, he pokes fun at his belly or his baldness or whatever it is. It, it seems to appeal to women. I'm not sure that men find it so wonderful. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I need to ask You might people. be right. And, you know, uh, Hollywood has women figured out because that leading <laughs> man marches into the room and with self-deprecating 
you know, sort of a self-deprecating humor, admits all the blame to everything that's gone wrong in the relationship and and pledges he'll do better and his pledges his undying love and we all swoon out here and it's because he's you know, he's so vulnerable. He's making himself vulnerable when you do that. And maybe that vulnerability is what appeals to women uh and vulnerability mm. maybe doesn't appeal to men mm. as much. They don't they don't maybe like being vulnerable. But if they all did that, like Hugh Grant, on a day to day basis, they would have women swooning everywhere they went, right? <laughs> How do they not see that? Because <laughs> you never see them do that. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, sort of. <laughs> D- dating advice on morning moments. Yes. Like, that's great. <laughs> yeah, you know, take what you my about, word for it. Yeah, there you go. But don't you think what you say bad? about vulnerability is really, um, that struck a note with me. I think you're right that that is something, I mean, you know, what woman doesn't, you know, suddenly become drawn when they see a man cry? Um, yeah. You know, it, you know, it's something that shows us the other side that we want to see. But I also wonder if it depends who the man is and what else we know about that man. There was an interesting study. I don't know if you had read it. I think it was Gil Greengross in um, New Mexico, I think, who had done a study on status and self-deprecating humor. Um, And the research seemed to show that to use it and be attractive, the, the man who was using it had to be known to have a certain kind of a status. So we accept it from, from Hugh Grant, for example, because we we know that he's actually a, you know, a very kind of commanding and um, established actor. And so, yes, we find that attractive, but were it, you know, our next door neighbor or the cashier at the grocery store or somebody else, we, we might not see it in the same way. I don't know. I need to think more yeah. about that. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. <laughs> that is an interesting thought. You know, I, um, I did a presentation not too long ago about humor uh, for leaders. And I thought a lot about what kind of humor works for leaders and you know when it comes to you know the really high ups like the president and the prime minister i'm not sure i advise i would advise <laughs> self-deprecating humor but um you know for i work in an organization of about that has about 600 staff and um we support um about 600 people with disabilities is a very so it's a very big organization and my ceo is really good with humor really good with humor and um even self-deprecating humor so i um i have seen it work for him somehow it does not negate his authority in any way but i can see how it how it could um you know I, like i said if i were advising the president or the prime minister i don't think i well and i don't think our president would go for self-deprecating humor either but um just a thought <laughs> but you know i i don't think it would work in all situations you know i i i can definitely see where where you are in the relationship or in the hierarchy might you know, might play a part in how effective it is. You know, 
I, that's a very interesting question to to consider. I don't know. Maybe maybe yeah, there's yeah, a fine line between you know someone in a leadership position using it to make themselves a little bit more relatable, so to mm-hmm. connect with those that they're leading but not going so far that they be, you know, they're seen as so vulnerable or having so many weaknesses that people question their ability to lead. I guess it's a very fine, um, a fine line in terms of using it. Yes. And it probably, you probably have to choose wisely what, what you're going to make fun of, you know, Mm -hmm. um, for example, you as a leader, you might not want to uh, have, any humor having to do with your leadership skills, mm-hmm. but it's probably okay to make fun of the fact that you cannot load the copy machine. You know <laughs> what I mean? If, you know, which would be, which would endear you to your staff who know that already about you, um, perhaps, whereas the other might um, take away a little bit from your leadership. So there probably, it probably, you know, helps to choose wisely what you make fun of. You know, which all humorists have to do anyway. You know, we all do that. We choose what we're gonna, what we're gonna self-deprecate about <laughs> carefully. That's that's a great point. That um, yeah, it's the the content or the subject matter is uh, is kind of crucial. Are there other ways that self-deprecating humor can backfire for an individual? Uh, definitely think so. I, um, I've seen it happen. The, the one, the worst example I can think of is when somebody, and this is somebody close to me, overdoes it with this, this isn't day-to-day, it's not a writer, but a a day-to-day person who the first time she talks about this particular issue which has to do with her appearance it was funny but she does it every time and goes on too long about it um, making poking fun of her appearance so I think that's it there's you have to know when to stop or it backfires Um, there's also I think certain places where you just you just don't use it like you know a job interview you know Oh. <laughs> Why did you leave your last job? Because I really stunk at it. You know, you probably don't want to do that. Or, and the other place I don't like it is when, um, when somebody compliments you. Mm. I don't, I don't like it when, when you, then you um, kind of make, fun, you know, that you say, make fun of what they said about you. I mean, you know, you should accept a compliment gracefully. I don't like it then. I I do recall a time too when um early in President Obama's administration when it kind of backfired with him and he is a very gracious person and he caught it right away and apologized very graciously but early on he um he made um one of the mistakes that self-deprecating humorists can make and that is that you poke fun at yourself but you don't take anybody from another group down with you uh, and what he did was he compared his bowling to a bunch of special Olympians or something to that effect. Um, and I don't know if you remember that. but So that was a real no-no and, and took the fun out of it. And he was called, you know, um, criticized for that. But he was very gracious and apologized. But that's when it can backfire. In self-deprecating humor, you are 
you're deprecating yourself. You don't take another group with you. Otherwise, it's something else. You see what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. Those are some times when I think it can can backfire. But, um, you know, the biggest thing is knowing when to stop and not go over that line. <laughs> then it becomes self-flagellation, which is really not amusing, you know. For sure. And, you know, you mentioned uh, someone who poked fun at their appearance. And I and I definitely, um, you know, can think of many times when, you know, girlfriends have, have done that. Um, and then, as you say, there are certain ones who do it all the time. Um, and it's, it's, as you say, it's no longer funny. And you also sort of question the, the intention, as we were talking about right. before. Um, yes. I'm not sure what the intention is either. I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Well, um, sometimes it might be begging for compliments or sometimes it might be, um, you know, uh, kind of an, a sense that they really don't feel good about their appearance and, you know, they won't, it's kind of, I know the way I look and you don't have to tell me, <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. sort of telling the world, see, I, I do know this about myself, kind of, but I don't know either, but it is not amusing, and it can be relentless. With this particular friend of mine, it feels a little relentless sometimes. It's um, it was it was funny the first few times I heard her comments, but then uh, it's like every time we are together. Um, I hope she doesn't listen to this. No. <laughs> Kidding. It was provide no, an opportunity. <laughs> but I think it applies to so many women. I mean, I, you know, I don't think it's yeah. one particular person. I, I have many friends like that, and I and I think you make a good point that I think it can sometimes be uh, their way of saying yes, I am aware, and also maybe of saying it before somebody else does. And I've had yeah. conversations, um, you know, people who, for example, might have been bullied. Um, as kids learned that if they used humor and said things first, it disarmed the other person a little bit, but it can backfire and have another effect, which I guess is the concern that we're raising. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think so. Yeah. I think, I think that is part of it. It's, you, I'm, you're not telling me anything I don't know. I already know I da-da-da, you know. You know, I, th- I think that's that's probably is a lot of it. And then maybe they are just going for a laugh sometimes and, and don't know when to quit. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and I, I think you're right. I th- and sometimes people can be very clever in the things that they say, too, and they, and they <laughs> can be very funny. It's just, as you say, knowing when, when uh, perhaps is enough. Um, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. Other, the other thing you said that was really interesting was when uh, someone gives you a compliment. And that's another thing I think particularly women are not always comfortable receiving compliments, yeah. which is perhaps a whole other conversation that we could have. Um, and I have to agree with you that that is not a moment to be self-deprecating because then it's like you're refusing this gift of a compliment that somebody else has been is trying to give you um i thought that was an interesting point that you said that's not that's well, not the right time girls <laughs> yeah and and the reason that one comes to mind for me is because i've done it <laughs> mm-hmm. i have done it i in fact i had a whole um a whole column i wrote about the things people say and how we um 
how we might respond to them, what we're, what we're really thinking when they're saying it. And, and the, that was, when somebody says to me, you look really nice today, my first thought is, and I can't help it, my first thought is, you mean I didn't every other day? Uh, you know what does that say about every other day you look really nice today and but that is came comes to my mind and you know to say that would be really really insulting (laughs) but I can't help it it's there so that that comes you know that automatically came to my mind when you ask about backfiring because it would really backfire (laughs) it's in my head but I keep it there (laughs) that somebody says that's your humorous that, I... brain, your humorous writer <laughs> brain going. I can't, I can't help it. I mean, I, I don't know why. Somehow the way that's worded, it just kind of, it's like, but, but what about yesterday? <laughs> so you see funny. what I'm burdened with here. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> there are things that you save on your notepad perhaps for later to use in a column. <laughs> Yes, that nobody has to know right at that moment. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Listen, Dorothy, unfortunately, we're we're slowly getting to the end of our time together. You know, I have read some of your writing and it's just wonderful. And I'm, I'm curious if you've got uh, other projects coming up uh, involving your writing or other things. Are there new things coming in 2017? I have a couple things on the, uh, you know, I'm, I continue to write my column. I I can't believe that I've been writing it for more than 20 years now. But um, I am about to, I'm kind of laying the groundwork for my third my third book. And this is this crazy idea I have of a humorous look at a, a simple life, sort of a humorous look at leaving a smaller footprint on the planet sort of idea. So I'm Mm. laying the groundwork for that. I've got uh, a lot of the pieces written and I'm kind of, uh, you know, kind of planning that. I'm going to be doing a storytelling event um, here in South Dakota on uh, April 7th, which I'm kind of excited about too. I, I haven't done a lot of storytelling. I do a lot of speaking, but not so much in the storytelling. And so I've kind of gotten started with that. So I'm looking forward to that. That's wonderful, and I, I look forward to, to taking a look at that book. It's a really interesting topic to to present humorously, um, but I can imagine a lot of opportunities in a simple life for humor. <laughs> yeah, I um, well, I um, give a lot. I I, I believe in, in that sort of thing, and like I told you earlier, it, to me it's like I believe strongly in something, but instead of ranting about it, I need to take it, use me as a bad example, um, you know, use self-deprecating humor, whatever, whatever, to get this message that I believe in across as a spoonful of sugar, kind of. <laughs> and so that's kind of what I'm what I'm thinking. And, and you know, I, I kind of had the same thing in mind with with everything I write, you know, that uh, I, I believe strongly some things and I I do better talking about them if I use humor to to present them. It works. It works. Um, and and if someone wants to lo- to either um, purchase your books or learn more about your work, what's the best way for them to do that or get more information? I do have a website, DorothyRosby.com, 
Um, and then my books are on Amazon and, and uh, at bookstores, can be ordered through bookstores too. And I will include uh, your website in the notes for this show, so we'll make sure that people uh, are able to take a look at uh, some more of your work. Dorothy, I'm so grateful to have had this conversation this morning. Um, and you, you sort of, it's a topic that's been interesting to me for a while, but you've sort of sparked a few other thoughts that I think I'm going to be ruminating on uh, for the rest of the day as I eat my chocolate caramel. <laughs> yes, I'm running out to get some. <laughs> right away you you enjoy that and enjoy the rest of the day and uh, i really do thank you so much for your time this morning thank you very much (laughs) you take care bye-bye have a good day that was dorothy rosby Remember, if ever you miss an episode of Morning Moments, we are available as a podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, or your favorite podcast streaming service. Or, of course, you can always stream us directly from our website, www.withloveandlaughter.ca. And also on that page, feel free to connect with us through social media. I love connecting with listeners. Um, Or drop me an email. That's always great as well. Until next time, with the spring equinox coming up tomorrow, how about we head out with some words of Victor Hugo, who wrote, If people did not love one another, I really don't see what use there would be in having any spring. This is Maya, and I am out. Sunday morning, still got my day job, but I feel so free.